4. Asian saw the coming of the latter days, when signs of the approaching end were to begin to appear. Just there he beheld, a great earthquake. The terrible event was noted by inspiration as a sign of the coming of the final judgment. Earthquakes there had been before, and increasing earthquakes were to follow after. Earthquakes in divers places, as Christ foretold, speaking of the signs of his second coming, but as befitted this first of the series of signs of the approaching end, a conviction from God seemed to come into the hearts of men in that generation, that this was indeed a token to remind the world of a coming day of doom. In the year of the disaster, an English poet, John Bidolph, published a book of verse, quoting some of the lessons of the hour, from which we quote a few descriptive stanzas, Calm was the sky, the sun serenely bright shot o'er the sea long dazzling streams of light, through orange groves soft breathing breezes played and gathered sweets like these wheresoe they strayed, in fair relief though stood the lofty town, set off by radiant lights and shadows brown, ill-fated city, there were revels kept, devoid of fear, they ate, they drank, they slept, no friendly voice like that of ancient Rome was sent to give them warning of their doom, no airy warriors to each other clung, such as tea said or destined sea unhung, but like a nightly thief their dreadful fate and looked for came and undermined their state, lo, what a sudden change, on ruins brink the proud turn humble, and the thoughtless think, dark, gloomy sadness overclouds the gay, and hypocrites for once sincerely pray, but let it not be thought their horrid deeds had pulled this dreadful judgment on their heads, or that for crimes too horrible to tell, like guilty Sodom, thunderstruck they fell, who can with curious eyes this globe survey, and not behold it tottering with decay, all things created, God's designs fulfill, and natural causes work his destined will, and that eternal word, which cannot lie, to mortals hath revealed in prophecy that in these latter days such signs should come, preludes and prologues to the general doom, but not the son of man can tell that day, then, lest it find you sleeping, watch and pray, thus this first of the predicted latter day signs bore its message to men, its immediate scene was set in the old world, but its warning was worldwide, the next sign foretold was to appear in the new world, but like the Lisbon earthquake, its message of warning was for all men, illustration, midday at sea May 19th, 1780, between 1 and 2 he was obliged to light a large candle to steer by. See page 89. The dark day of 1780, the sun shall be darkened, we recall that in the vision of latter-day signs given to the prophet John, he saw the great earthquake, followed by a sign in the heavens, the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Ref. 612. Of this event our Savior spoke in giving the signs of his second coming which were to begin to appear following the cutting short of the days of persecution. We repeat his words, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. Matt. 24 minutes and 29 seconds. The prophecy fulfilled true to the order of the prophecy. Following the great earthquake of 1755 in Europe, there came, in America, the second sign of the approaching end. The wonderful darkening of the Sunday known in history as, the dark day. The sign appeared at the time indicated in the prophecy, immediately after the tribulation of those days, or as Mark has it, in those days, after that tribulation, on May 19, 1780, the sun was darkened, and the following night the moon did not give her light. Whatever explanation men may have to offer as to the cause of the phenomenon, the fact remains that when the time of the prophecy came, the sign appeared. The first volume of the Memoirs of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, 
published in Boston in 1785, contains a paper entitled, An Account of a Very Uncommon Darkness in the States of New England, May 19, 1780, by Samuel Williams, A. N. Hollis Professor of Mathematics and Philosophy in the University at Cambridge, Massachusetts, of the extent, duration, and degree of darkness on that occasion. The scientific observer said, the extent of this darkness was very remarkable. From the accounts that have been received, it seems to have extended all over the New England states. It was observed as far east as Falmouth, Portland, Maine, to the westward. We hear of its reaching to the furthest parts of Connecticut, and Albany, to the southward. It was observed all along the seacoasts, and to the north as far as our settlements extend. With regard to its duration, it continued in this place at least 14 hours, but it is probable this was not exactly the same in different parts of the country. The appearance and effects were such as tended to make the prospect extremely dull and gloomy. Candles were lighted up in the houses, the birds having sung their evening songs, disappeared, and became silent, the fowls retired to a roost, the cocks were crowing all around as at break of day, objects could not be distinguished but at a very little distance, and everything bore the appearance and gloom of night. See pages 234-246. Whittier has commemorated it in the poem, Abraham Davenport, Twas on a May day of the far old year 1780, that there fell over the bloom and sweet life of the spring, over the fresh earth and the heaven of noon, a horror of great darkness, birds ceased to sing, and all the barnyard fowls roosted, the cattle at the pasture bars lowed, and looked homeward, bats on weathered wings flitted abroad, the sounds of labor died, men prayed, and women wept, all ears grew sharp to hear the doom blast of the trumpet shatter the black sky. The words of the poet are substantiated by the plain prose of the dictionary maker, in the department explanatory of noted names. Webster's and abridged dictionary edition 1883 says, The Dark Day, May 19, 1780 so called on account of a remarkable darkness on that day extending over all New England. The obscuration began about 10 o'clock in the morning, and continued till the middle of the next night, but with difference of degree and duration in different places. The true cause of this remarkable phenomenon is not known. Cause unknown at the time. Some explained the darkness as being due to smoke from forest fires. Others to the exceptional rise of vapors and atmospheric dust in the warm spring following the melting of unusually heavy winter snows. But forest fires were not of extraordinary occurrence in these regions. And many a springtime since has seen the melting of heavy winter snows and the rise of vapors. Yet May 19, 1780 still stands unique in the annals of modern times as the dark day. However observers and writers disagreed as to the nature of the mantle of darkness that was drawn over New England that day, they were one in recognizing the extraordinary character of the event. The facts are fully covered by the statement in the dictionary. The true cause of this remarkable phenomenon is not known. What we do know is that the Savior's prophecy declared, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and when the time for it came, the sign appeared, contemporary records though the comparatively small-sized newspapers of the day were crowded with news of the progress of the Revolutionary War, then raging, no little space was given to reports and discussions of this remarkable darkening of the sun, a correspondent of the Boston Gazette and Country Journal of May 29, 1780 reported observations made at Ipswich Hamlet, Mass., by several gentlemen of liberal education, about eleven o'clock the darkness was such as to demand our attention, and put us upon making observations, at half past eleven, in a room with three windows, 
24 panes each, all open toward the southeast and south. Large print could not be read by persons of good eyes. About 12 o'clock, the windows being still open, a candle cast a shade so well defined on the wall, as that profiles were taken with as much ease as they could have been in the night. About 1 o'clock a glint of light which had continued to this time in the east, shut in and the darkness was greater than it had been for any time before. We dined about two, the windows all open, and two candles burning on the table. In the time of the greatest darkness some of the fowls went to their roost. Cocks crowed in answer to one another as they commonly do in the night. Woodcocks, which are night birds, whistled as they do only in the dark. Frogs peeped. In short, there was the appearance of midnight at noonday. About three o'clock the light in the west increased. The motion of the clouds became more quick. Their color higher and more brassy than at any time before. There appeared to be quick flashes or coruscations, not unlike the aurora borealis. About half past four our company, which had passed eight in an expected night very cheerfully together, broke up. Of the night following, this gentleman then at Salem wrote, Perhaps it never was darker since the children of Israel left the house of bondage. This gross darkness held till about one o'clock, although the moon had fulled but the day before. The Boston Independent Chronicle of June 8th quoted from Thomas's Massachusetts spy, During the whole time a sickly, melancholy gloom overcast the face of nature, nor was the darkness of the night less uncommon and terrifying than that of the day, notwithstanding there was almost a full moon. No object was discernible, but by the help of some artificial light, which when seen from the neighboring houses and other places at a distance, appeared through a kind of Egyptian darkness which seemed almost impervious to the rays. This unusual phenomenon excited the fears and apprehensions of many people. Some considered it as a portentous omen of the wrath of heaven and vengeance denounced against the land, others as the immediate harbinger of the last day, when the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, not only over the land, but out at sea also. The unnatural darkness of the day and night of May 19, 1780, was observed. In the Independent Chronicle of June 15, 1780, a correspondent, telling of interviews with various observers, said, I had also seen a very sensible captain of a vessel, who was that morning about 40 leagues southeast of Boston. He says the cloud which appeared at the west was the blackest he ever saw. About 11 o'clock there was a little rain, and it grew dark. Between 1 and 2 he was obliged to light a large candle to steer by. Between 9 and 10 at night. He ordered his men to take in some of the sails, but it was so dark that they could not find the way from one mast to the other. Thoughts turned to the judgment this writer commented as follows concerning the feelings awakened by the event. Various have been the sentiments of people concerning the designs of providence in spreading the unusual darkness over us. Some suppose it portentous of the last scene. I wish it may have some good effect on the minds of the wicked, and that they may be excited to prepare for that solemn day. The Independent Chronicle of June 22, 1780, printed a letter from Dr. Samuel Stearns, who had been appealed to because of his knowledge in philosophy and astronomy. First, he disposed of one suggestion that had been made, that the darkness was not caused by an eclipse as manifest by the various positions of the planets of our system at that time, for the moon was more than 150 degrees from the sun all that day. Then, in the rather heavy language of the science of that period, this writer told how the action of the sun's heat was continually projecting into the atmosphere particles of earthy matter, and in his opinion it was some vast collection of such particles that caused the late and common darkness. 
but as to the real accounting for the phenomenon he wrote, the primary cause must be imputed to him that walketh through the circuit of heaven, who stretcheth out the heaven like a curtain, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, it was he, that whose voice the stormy winds are obedient, that commanded these exhalations to be collected and condensed together, that with them he might darken both the day and the night, which darkness was, perhaps, not only a token of his indignation against the crying iniquities and abominations of the people, but an omen of some future destruction. Thus men's minds were exercised by this sign, in the Sunday and in the moon. The early records of New York City tell of the interest excited there, though evidently the darkness was not so marked as it was farther north. In the Connecticut legislature President Timothy Dwight, of Yale College, a contemporary, left the following account of one of the historic incidents of the day, the legislature of Connecticut was then in session at Hartford. A very general opinion prevailed that the day of judgment was at hand. The House of Representatives, being unable to transact their business, adjourned. A proposal to adjourn the council a second legislative body called the Governor's Council was under consideration. When the opinion of Colonel Davenport was asked, he answered, I am against an adjournment. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for an adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish therefore that candles may be brought. Barber, Connecticut Historical Collections, page 403. It was this striking incident that Whittier described with the poet's pen. Meanwhile in the old state house, dim as ghosts, Saturday the lawgivers of Connecticut, trembling beneath their legislative robes, it is the Lord's great day. Let us adjourn, some said, and then, as with one accord, all eyes were turned to Abraham Davenport. He rose, slow cleaving with his steady voice the intolerable hush. This well may be the day of judgment which the world awaits, but be it so or not, I only know my present duty, and my Lord's command to occupy till he come. So at the post where he hath set me in his providence I choose, for one, to meet him face to face, no faithless servant, frightened from my task, but ready when the Lord of the harvest calls, and therefore, with all reverence, I would say, let God do his work, we will see to ours, bring in the candles, thus, in a manner that arrested the attention of men and put awe and solemnity into their hearts, with thoughts of the coming of the great day of God. The first of the predicted signs in the heavens was revealed, at a later time, when students of the Bible seemed moved upon simultaneously, in both Europe and America, to give attention to the doctrine of Christ's second coming. It was more generally understood that these signs had come in fulfillment of prophecy. As we look to the past, we see how truly the tokens of the coming king began to appear as the Church of Christ emerged fully from the long, dark period of tribulation. A new era was dawning in which the Lord was to fill the earth with light before his second appearing, according to his word to Daniel the prophet, Thou, O Daniel, shut up the words, and seal the book, even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased, Dan, 12 colon 4, at last the time of the end was at hand, and the signs of the latter days had begun to appear in the earth and in the heavens, the Lord was preparing to send to all the world the closing gospel message of Christ's soon coming in glory. Illustration, The Great Meteoric Shower November 13, 1833 The stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree cast at her untimely figures when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Ref. 613 Illustration, A star heralds his first advent, we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Map. 2 colon 2 
the falling stars of 1833, the stars shall fall from heaven, a great impetus was given to the study of divine prophecy by the events of the closing years of the 18th century. Observers had seen the papal power receive a deadly wound in the events and effects of the French Revolution, and it was understood that the world was entering a new era of enlightenment and liberty. Bible students began to see more clearly the lesson of the great outlines of historic prophecy, and hearts were stirred with the evidences that the coming of the Lord was drawing near. In Europe and America, in the early decades of the 19th century, there was the beginning of a revival of the study and preaching of the Advent idea. Another sign in the heavens just here appeared another great sign in the heavens, foretold by the word of prophecy, of the sign that was to follow the darkening of the sun and moon. Christ's prophecy says, the stars shall fall from heaven. Matt. 24 minutes and 29 seconds. The prophet John beheld the spectacle in a vision of the last days, and described it in these words, the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree cast at her untimely figures when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Ref. 613. On November 13, 1833, came the wondrous celestial exhibition of falling stars, which is listed as one of the most remarkable phenomena of the astronomical story. Meteoric displays, swarms of shooting stars, have been observed at various times all through the ages, but this phenomenon, coming in the order given by the prophecy, that island following the darkening of the Sunday constituted the sublime display answering to the pen picture of the apocalypse as if all the stars of heaven were falling to the earth. The essential thing about a sign is that it shall be seen, that the circumstances of its appearance shall fasten attention, not in America alone, but equally in all the civilized world. As a topic of study, the sign in the heavens commanded the attention of men. An English scientist, Ref. Thomas Milner, FRGS wrote, the attention of astronomers in Europe, and all over the world, was, as may be imagined, Strongly roused by intelligence of this celestial display on the western continent. The Gallery of Nature, London, 1852, page 141. This writer called it, by far the most splendid display on record. It, page 139. Another English astronomical writer of more recent date says, once for all. Then, as the result of the star fall of 1833, the study of luminous meteors became an integral part of astronomy. Clerky. History of Astronomy in the 19th Century, page 329. The same work describes the extent of the display as follows, on the night of November 12, 13, 1833, a tempest of falling stars broke over the Earth. North America bore the brunt of its pelting, from the Gulf of Mexico to Halifax, until daylight with some difficulty put an end to the display. The sky was scored in every direction with shining tracks and illuminated with majestic fireballs. Page 328. The spectacle described the closest scientific observations were made by Professor Denison Olmsted, professor of astronomy at Yale, who wrote in the American Journal of Science, the morning of November 13, 1833, was rendered memorable by an exhibition of the phenomenon called shooting stars, which was probably more extensive and magnificent than any similar one hitherto recorded. Probably no celestial phenomenon has ever occurred in this country since its first settlement, which was viewed with so much admiration and delight by one class of spectators, or with so much astonishment and fear by another class. For some time after the occurrence, the meteoric phenomenon was the principal topic of conversation in every circle. Volume XXV 1834, pages 363, 364. Professor Simon Newcomb, the astronomer, 
declares this phenomenal exhibition of falling stars, the most remarkable one ever observed. See, astronomy for everybody. Page 280. This was not merely a display of an unusual number of falling stars, such as Humboldt observed in South America in 1799, or such as we find recorded of other times before and since. It was a shower of falling stars, just such a spectacle as one must picture from the words of the prophecy. And the stars of heaven fell. The French astronomer Flammarion says of the density of the shower, the Boston observer, Olmsted, compared them, at the moment of maximum, to half the number of flakes which we perceive in the air during an ordinary shower of snow. Popular Astronomy, page 536. This affords us a better idea of the scene than the estimate of 34.640 stars an hour, which was made by Professor Olmsted after the rain of the stars had greatly abated so that he was able to make an attempt at counting. Dr. Humphreys, president of St. John's College, Annapolis, said of the appearance at the Maryland Capitol, in the words of most, they fell like flakes of snow. American Journal of Science, Volume XXV 1834, page 372. Nothing less than this could have presented the counterpart of the prophetic picture. Thoughtful hearts were solemnized by the unwanted spectacle. Professor Alexander Twining, civil engineer, lay tutor in Yale College, giving his views as to the nature of the flaming visits from space, wrote, had they held on their course and abated for three seconds longer, half a continent must, to all appearance, have been involved in and heard of calamity, but that almighty being who made the world, and knew its dangers, gave it also its armature endowing the atmospheric medium around it with protecting, no less than with life-sustaining, properties considered as one of the rare and wonderful displays of the Creator's preserving care, as well as the terrible magnitude and power of His agencies. It is not meet that such occurrences as those of November 13th should leave no more solid and permanent effect upon the human mind than the impression of a splendid scene. American Journal of Science, Volume XXVI 1834, page 351. Multitudes felt that the great Creator had spoken to men in this notable wonder of His heavens again and again in the records and reminiscences of that time. Testimony is born to the fact that observers were impressed with the likeness of the scene to that described in the divine prophecy as one of the signs of the end of the world. The prophetic picture reproduced the New York Journal of Commerce emphasized the exactness of detail with which the prophecy described the scene as it appeared in 1833. This is the apocalyptic picture. As the ancient prophet saw it in vision, the stars of heaven fell onto the earth even as a fig tree cast at her untimely figures when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Ref. 613. A correspondent of the Journal of Commerce draws the picture as it was seen nearly 18 centuries later, the likeness to the prophetic description being emphasized in every line, no philosopher or scholar has told or recorded an event like that of yesterday morning. A prophet 1800 years ago foretold it exactly. If we will be at the trouble of understanding stars falling do mean falling stars. New York Journal of Commerce, November 14, 1833. In this connection was noted by the same writer the special appropriateness of the prophet's figure of the fig tree casting the green figs in a mighty wind, here is the exactness of the prophet. The falling stars did not come as if from several trees shaken, but from one. Those which appeared in the east fell toward the east, those which appeared in the north fell toward the north, those which appeared in the west fell toward the west and those which appeared in the south for I went out of my residence into the park fell toward the south, and they fell not as ripe fruit falls, far from it, but they flew, they were cast, 
like the unripe figure which at first refuses to leave the branch, and when it does break its hold, fly swiftly, straight off, descending, and in the multitude falling, some cross the track of others, as they are thrown with more or less force. Professor Olmsted's long and carefully elaborated account in the American Journal of Science, gave a report from a correspondent in Bowling Green, Mo, as follows, though there was no moon, when we first observed them, their brilliancy was so great that we could, at times, read common-sized print without much difficulty, and the light which they afforded was much whiter than that of the moon, in the clearest and coldest night, when the ground is covered with snow, the air itself, the face of the earth as far as we could behold it, all the surrounding objects, and the very countenances of men, or the aspect and hue of death, occasioned by the continued, pallid glare of these countless meteors, which in all their grandeur flamed lawless through the sky, there was a grand and indescribable gloom on all around, and awe-inspiring sublimity on all above, while, the sanguine flood rolled abroad slaughter o'er the plains of heaven, and nature's self did seem to totter on the brink of time. There was scarcely a space in the firmament which was not filled at every instant with these falling stars, nor on it could you in general perceive any particular difference in appearance, still at times they seemed to shower down in groups calling to mind the fig tree, casting her untimely figs when shaken by a mighty wind, volume XXV 1834, page 382, illustration, the sign of fire, as the sign of fire in the watchtower was a signal to God's people anciently to flee from the coming danger seizure, 6 colon 1, so the signs appearing now in the heavens and in the earth are God's signals of warning to the people of our day. A sign to all the world it was not in North America alone, but in all the civilized world, that the attention of men was called to the prophetic word by the discussions of this event. Thus the English scientific writer, Thomas Milner, writing for the British public, spoke as follows of the profound impression made, in many districts, the mass of the population were terror-struck and the more enlightened were awed at contemplating so vivid a picture of the apocalyptic image that of the stars of heaven falling to the earth, even as a fig tree casting her untimely figures when she is shaken of a mighty wind. The Gallery of Nature, London, 1852, page 140. So the sign in the heavens made its solemn appeal to all the world. It brought to the multitudes who saw it, thoughts of God and the last great day. An observer living at the time in Georgia, wrote, Everybody felt that it was the judgment, and that the end of the world had come. Another, in Kentucky, wrote, In every direction I could hear men, women, and children screaming, The judgment day is come. Rather, it was a signal that the hour of God's judgment was drawing near. The signs so long foretold were appearing, one by one, to register their enduring mark on the record of fulfilling prophecy. Immediately following these times, there began an awakening concerning the vital Bible doctrine of the second coming of Christ, which has grown into the definite Advent movement that is carrying the gospel message of preparation for the coming of the Lord to every nation and tongue and people. The sign of 1833 emphasized by other displays we have mentioned the fact that Humboldt had observed an extraordinary fall of meteorites in South America, 33 years, before, in 1799 and he reported at the time that the oldest inhabitants there had a recollection of a similar display in 1766. From these reports, scientists deduced the theory that these showers were to be expected every 33 years. Hence in 1866 they were watching for a repetition of the 1833 display. That there was a measure of truth in the deduction was made evident by an unusual fall of meteorites November 14, 1866. 
this time Europe was the scene of the display, but the event was not to be compared with that of 1833. This appears plain from the account of observations made by Sir Robert Ball and Lord Rosse, the British astronomers. Sir Robert Ball says that when the meteorites began to fall, he and Lord Rosse went out upon the wall of the observatory housing Lord Rosse's great reflecting telescope, there, for the next two or three hours, we witnessed a spectacle which can never fade from my memory. The shooting stars gradually increased in number until sometimes several were seen at once. Story of the Heavens, page 380. Grand as the spectacle was, it was but a reminder, apparently, of the star shower of 1833, when not several meteorites fell at a time, nor many, merely, but, as it appeared, the stars of heaven fell onto the earth. However, the spectacle of 1866, which was observed over a great part of the old world, deserved to direct renewed attention to the incomparable event of 1833, as well as to the prophetic descriptions of the wonders in the heavens, Joel 2.30 which were to appear as the end drew near. Textbooks and astronomical works thereupon began to count it as fully established that every 33 years the displays would be repeated. It was confidently predicted that 1899 would witness a repetition, possibly on the scale of 1833. Professor Langley's New Astronomy, published in 1888 said, The Great November Shower, which is coming once more in this century, and which every reader may hope to see toward 1899, is of particular interest to us as the first whose movements were subject to analysis. Chambers's Astronomy, published in 1889, said, The meteors of November 13th may be expected to reappear.